Hello. Good afternoon, everyone. This is Camille Broderick with Camille's Demi Hour on Nantucket's NPR station 89.5. And today we are going to talk to someone who is a big figure on the island when it comes to the sustainability on Nantucket. The show was created to talk about all the wonderful things in the food wine world, as well as the agricultural community here. And we hope that this next guest is going to give us some insight into that agricultural world and what is happening now, most currently in the Nantucket community of farming and making things more sustainable here for you and for all of us on the island. So welcome, Michelle. Thank you. And so I guess like most guests... We like to ask, what brings you to Nantucket and your history here on the island? I first came to the island in 1994. I had decided not to finish college. I wasn't uh, happy in the major I was in. I didn't know really what I wanted to do, but I knew that I needed um, to take a, some time off. And I had um, stayed on Block Island and fallen in love with just the feeling of living on an island but Block Island's population in the winter was like 300. (laughs) It seemed a little remote. And uh, one of my very good friends from college had lived here on the island, um, you know, for years off and on. And so she invited me to come here with her. Mm -hmm. And I did, and I loved it. Um, So I packed up my little car and got on the ferry (laughs) and came over and stayed with friends. And, you know, I, I think within the first two days, I had a job, I had a place to live, you know, it was really just a wonderful, welcoming community, and I started a life here. Um, and I stayed for about four years mm-hmm. and doing different work and um, really getting to know the island. And then I went back to school, and I um, I studied studio art, and I went to New York, and I lived there as a painter, and I worked as a writer, um, publishing in the publishing industry there, and then. Um, I came back to the island uh, after 9-11. Mm-hmm. I had a good friend offer me a studio and a place to live and paint. And um, so that's initially how I ended up coming back here is just as a working artist. Oh, wow. That's a a common job here, <laughs> as, I've, as I've learned, but um, a beautiful opportunity to really express the island in that way. So how did you transition into your role at Sustainable? Well, in terms of economic sustainability, <laughs> being an artist isn't always quite going to give, you know, pay the bills. And I, um, I knew, had a, you know, eye for design and, um, so, and I could do graphic design and the hospital at that time was looking for someone to work in their, um, fundraising development and communications department. Mm-hmm. So I started working for them and I'd been doing some fundraising and some graphic design and kind of promotion stuff on the side. Um, before that, I had my own little company. So it was a good natural segue. Um, so I worked for the hospital for a few years um, and really got to know a lot of the people who work in development on the island, a lot of the nonprofit kind of scene. Mm-hmm. And then I was volunteering for Sustainable Nantucket and we started this thing called the Green Council and I was volunteering for Sustainable Nantucket, trying to raise awareness about climate action on the island. It naturally segued into this role. Yeah, it did. It did. It was the timing was um, kind of perfect in the sense that the previous executive director had decided to retire and they were looking for a new ED. And I had the um, focus and the skill set that they were looking for. Mm -hmm. So it was a good fit. And it also gave me the opportunity to really pursue... um, sustainability as the focus of my fundraising and nonprofit efforts. 
So Sustainable Nantucket, most people may have heard of it, volunteered. But for those of you who don't know uh, Sustainable Nantucket, Michelle, how would you describe the goal and the mission for Sustainable Nantucket? Um, I like to say that we are, well, we like to say our board and the organization, uh, that we're building a more locally based and self-reliant food system on the island and therefore a stronger local economy. And you and I were talking earlier about the past of Nantucket and the history of Nantucket and that the farming community was was stronger than it is now. Yes, we had um, over 100 farms in 1875. And then in about 1950, we had 30-ish, 29, 30 farms. Uh, and then when Sustainable started our Farmers and Artisans Market, um, as far as commercially available farms, uh, we had three, and that included a cranberry box. So where do you think the decline happened? Is it, was it economic purposes, just natural progression within I think it was development. Mm-hmm. You know, it was development because the the value of land here shot up so much. And, and farming is, is a hard life. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's sort of natural segue if your children don't wish to farm mm-hmm. and you own all this land and it suddenly is very valuable. Right. It just doesn't stay in farming, mm-hmm. you know. So unless you're extremely passionate about it, staying in farming and you determine to find a, a way mm-hmm. like our existing farms now, Moore's End and Bartlett's have done um with their land uh, by partnering with nonprofit organizations and ensuring that land stays in agriculture. Otherwise it doesn't, doesn't stay in agriculture. And I think, you know, the, the alarm bells hadn't sounded Mm -hmm. uh, for a long time. People didn't realize that it was really disappearing as a way of life on the Island. So you're becoming that voice to be heard. Yes. I mean, we're hoping that we're reversing that trend. I mean, that is what we're doing. So how do you do that? How do you create these programs and get the support to to try to reverse something of, of, of such a grand scale for this island? Well, it, you know, it has to be we have to be creative. Um, it has to be done differently than than the traditional landowning model of the past. Um, we're very blessed here. And uh, most people know we have so much of our land has been um, preserved and set aside and, and is in conservation. And the land bank is a huge part of that. And what is the land bank exactly? The land bank, I believe, is a branch of the town, but it is its own entity. And it is funded by a percentage of real estate um, purchases on the island. I think it's 2% of um, any homes uh over a certain amount of money. So if it's over, I think, 400000 or something around there. Mm-hmm. Can't quote me in those very exact numbers. But my understanding is it's 2% of those purchases over a certain amount of money. If you're not a first-time home buyer, mm-hmm. um, especially, you would pay that. And that goes into a fund. And they use that fund to purchase and to maintain um, tracts of land here mm-hmm. for the open space, recreation, and agriculture, actually. It's part of the land bank's ch- charter to help preserve the traditional industry of agriculture. And they're one of your partners who help support you. Yes, they are a major, a major um, land partner for us. And so they're they're two are are they a conservation committee as well, or are they just they're protecting certain parcels of the land here? Um, my understanding is that they're protecting certain parcels of the land, and part of that is you know preserving open space, right? But yeah. also space for recreation and space mm-hmm. for the community, and and then they support obviously the agricultural aspect of it. Yes. So for other programs, what else are you working on? Um, So basically, you know, in an effort to build a more locally based and self-reliant food system, we realized early on that you, we needed to um, boost the 
profile and the presence of our existing farms and try to help them get to a place where they were sustainable themselves and um, to make a place for small farms and small growers to have the opportunity to directly connect with the public and sell their produce for retail. Mm-hmm. Um, so for the larger farms, it would really be a, an, an effort to raise their profile, that they would be participating in our farmers and artisans market, which we started in 2007. And mm-hmm. for the smaller farms, it's a place to sell retail because they didn't have a, a farm stand. And so we started this market in 2007, and we were initially way outside of town, and we eventually figured out you know, the zoning and the permitting, and we found a place to be in town. And next year, I think, is our 10th anniversary. And last year, our Farmers and Artisans Market had 47,000 visitors walk through it oh, in one great. season. So you're so. exposing and bringing uh, the attention of the far- the existing farmers here on island to the public and then bringing the awareness that these farms exist and then ultimately supporting them to make them more sustainable and functional and ongoing. Right, right. And in the case of Bartlett's and Moore's End Farm, you know, they are, you know, very much now focused out on their at their farm stands and um, they no longer need to participate in the farmers and artisans market, whereas um, the smaller farms still, you know, Boatyard and Pumpkin Pond, they're still getting their footing and get, the getting enough foot traffic out at their farms is something they need. Right. So they participate in the market every week weekend. Um, Are there regulations when it comes to giving to restaurants and selling to restaurants versus the markets or is it kind of a, an open opportunity? It's an open opportunity. I mean, it depends on a farmer's um, choice and mm-hmm. model, their business model. Um, you know, the restaurants here are very, the the ones especially that we work with through our Nantucket Grown brand, which is another part of increasing demand. Um, we started a, a brand and a campaign. And so we work with, um, I think we have 23 restaurant participants this year um, and several value-added food producers like Cisco and Ambrosia. Um, Acfresh are all part of our brand, um, and that's because they're either creating products with local ingredients in them, mm-hmm. or in the case of the restaurants, they're you know purchasing quite a bit of local oysters, produce, fish. Speaking of the local oysters, that's a growing market here. We've met the Rezio oyster team, and as well as um, some independent oyster farmers that are now new to the the oyster world and the leasing of the land that's been given out out there on the harbor. So, is that a is that a growing division for you? It is something that we are starting to focus more and more on in trying to help uh, the oyster farmers as well connect with the chefs. Um, you know, this year was the first year we asked the chefs to tell us how much they were sourcing from the oyster farmers and um, to really make that, give them credit for that and awarding them their brand. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we also have coming up on June 1st, we're going to be working with Carolina Wines is a you know, local distributor that um, is having a wine tasting and Languedoc has very kindly offered us space there. And we're, um, you know, reaching out to all our oyster farmers and also our our small farms and our bigger farms to see if they want to be there with some Mm -hmm. samples, some tastes for the chefs to taste and experience and also their pricing lists for the season. So that's another way that we work directly with the farmers and the restaurants to try to make those connections. Great. If you're just listening, you are hearing Michelle Whelan on the air right now. She is the executive director of Sustainable Nantucket, which is a nonprofit organization here on island that their mission is to create a more sustainable local food system here on Nantucket. And what is, I think, trending now is obviously the farm to table movement being uh, sourcing locally, knowing what's in 
your meal and knowing what the ingredients and the things that you buy. So that must be working for you when it comes to getting the popularity and the demand that, like you said, for the attention to this issue, which isn't just local. You, you also said that it's kind of a global issue as well. Yeah, it is definitely a global issue, you know, even just from the perspective of climate change, 33% of our greenhouse gas emissions globally come from industrialized agriculture. Um, so there's a lot that industrialized agriculture does that small farms um, that are growing things sustainably don't do. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's also a lot of uh, effects on our water system and our soil systems that not only affect the environment in drastic and terrible ways, they also affect our food. Um, so I think people are becoming more and more aware of that and they they wish to eat things that are going to be good for them. Mm-hmm. I like to say, you know, they should call it pesticide broccoli instead of, you know, Just labeling broccoli. organic produce organic. They mm-hmm. should label everything else pesticide broccoli, pesticide asparagus. And let's see how many people actually want to buy that. <laughs> Because that's what it is, you know? Well, the unfortunate thing is when you when you buy the food and you spend the money and then you realize that half the nutrients aren't even there. So you're trying to eat healthy, but then you don't even realize that it's not even healthy just because it's a vegetable. But it, it does. I mean, I think the reason for organic certification is if you don't know your farm and you don't know your farmer. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're when you're really invested in purchasing local food then you will have visited your farm most likely and you will have spoken with the farmer and you understand about their growing methods. And I don't know that organic certification is so necessary in those cases. What you need to know is what are their methods and how are they growing their food. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we have a small farm that we are, where we are, it's a teaching farm. We're teaching people how to grow food. Growing new growers for the island um, is out on Hummock Pond Road. Um, it's the Walter F. Ballinger Educational Community Farm. And we're teaching sustainable methods there. Mm-hmm. And that's really important. Um, even just in selection of what's being grown, mm-hmm. uh, large industrialized agriculture will pick hybridized plants that are destined for market many thousands of miles away. So their concern is really that it looks good mm-hmm. or that it lasts mm-hmm. and not that it tastes good right. or that it has uh, the flavonoids or the phytonutrients that not only fresh picked picked produce would have, but heirloom varieties, the the darker in color mm-hmm. uh, a fruit or a vegetable right. is, is the more flavonoids it has in it, the more nutrients it has in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so much of what you get that's industrialized uh, is just empty of that. It becomes challenging because if you live in the city and if you're not educated, you don't know how to eat well. And I feel that the Northeast is a rather well-educated um, area in the country, um, as well as Northern California, when it comes to the education of our food systems and uh, trying to um, be more informed about what's organic and what you're eating. That is a trend, like we were saying earlier, but it is challenging. Right. So without having the knowledge or necessarily the money, how do you maintain sustainability? Well, are you talking from the perspective of a young farmer or are you talking from the perspective of of, of a consumer? Of a consumer? Um, I guess that's where your program maybe comes in by bringing it to people's attention. Yeah, and also giving them opportunities to access that food. You mm-hmm. know, they can come to our farmers and artisans market uh, on the weekends. And if coming downtown, you know, in the height of the season is challenging for whatever reason, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's their schedule or whatever, the traffic, <laughs> et cetera, yeah. um, we have a mid island growers market from 3 30 to 6 30 on Wednesdays mm-hmm. that'll be next to Glidden's Seafood on that little 
area, mm-hmm. open area there. And so you can get your produce there. And then what's the price range? Is it affordable? It really depends on what you're buying mm-hmm. and how much that grower grew. And, you know, I don't know, but I would say it's probably comparable to, right. um, you know, Bartlett's, which is our larger scale farm here mm-hmm. on the island. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can always go out to Bartlett's. You can go to Moore's End Farm. Mm-hmm. I have a CSA or had a CSA with Moore's End and I'd like to have it again. Um, I love it. Mm-hmm. It's you pay up front um, and that helps the farm with their whole season of expenses. And then you get a weekly bag of produce, whatever it is they've got. Right. Um, and I, I like it because I get a ton of produce for one thing, but also I have new the experiences. Yeah, the variety. Yeah. And I, then I just look and up you don't online. have to go into the stop and shop parking lot. <laughs> And there's that. <laughs> you get to go to Moore's End. It's a very enjoyable experience. Um, so, you know, there's, and Bartlett's has CSA. Um, our smaller growers at the Community Farm Institute, some of them are going to be starting a CSA, if not this year, then next year. Boatyard, I don't know if they have CSA, but you can go out to Boatyard. Mm-hmm. Um, and definitely Pumpkin Pond has CSA, and you can go out to Pumpkin. So, you know, I think there's options. You have to search for them. Right. Um, and there's also the option of growing your own. I mean, mm-hmm. I think... Even in very small spaces. Yeah, you can do a lot in a small space. Yeah, we just had um and actually a workshop this weekend. It was our um it was a wonderful workshop. We had a someone come from off island to our farm um because we hold these workshops and classes um all season long, mm-hmm. and we did year round indoor salad gardening with this author and teacher Peter Burke, and it was awesome. Mm-hmm. And it's very much uh, the kind of thing where you know he's teaching people how to do. Um, what he himself learned to do because there was a dearth of salad and produce for him in the winter season in Vermont. And so he experimented and came up with all these methods of growing quite a bit of food in a small space indoors Mm -hmm. So get creative. So Sustainable Nantucket exposed people to what's happening on the island and are educating people by providing tools and opportunities for them to learn how to be more sustainable, how to grow, and again, bringing the awareness of those who are doing that already. Yeah. And I would say, you know, we always say our bedrock program is our farm to school program Mm -hmm. um, that we have a over 3,500 square foot garden um, at the school. We just moved it because uh, the school's under construction. So we're rebuilding that right now. Um, We've been teaching out of that garden uh, in one form or another since 2010. Um, And our farm to school program manager, Kathleen Minahan, is just she's a licensed nutritionist. Um, she's an excellent teacher. She's been working with kids of um, all ages, mm-hmm. you know, from preschool through senior year, um, you know, over the last six years. And now we're starting a summer program. Mm-hmm. So we'll be teaching um, kids, you know, basically in collaboration with the community school all summer long as well. Um, and we've always had camps come in and we've always had like mm-hmm. um, visitors and volunteer and family days. But now we're going to do an actual, you know, every day, five days a week uh, summer program. That's great. They also do the culinary program for the young kids too. So that falls in line with that. Yeah. We teach cooking classes at the new culinary center. Um, mm-hmm. We used to teach them, you know, a taste test in the cafeteria and in the garden, things like that. But we're so happy because mm-hmm. this wonderful facility downtown gives us the opportunity to do more hands-on, more in-depth. So taking on this role uh, as executive director, what challenges do you see the island really facing and where where would you want or what improvements would you want for the future for Nantucket to be more sustainable? I think we have to be really um, cognizant of what is happening with our, our development, um, you know, making sure that we have affordable housing because, you know, one of the, as a nonprofit, 
where we have apprentices and people who come here to work for sustainable and to try to help move this agenda forward because they're passionate about it. I mean, that's a huge issue for us is just trying to find housing for the people that are here to work for the summer for their farms and to help us. Um, so, I, and I think, you know, we're obviously not alone. It's a, it's a, in a crisis. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think we're pushing forward affordable housing is huge. Um, you know, I'd like to say you can look at sustainability, every aspect of sustainability through the lens of agriculture. You can look at, hey, we need housing. We need it for our farm workers. We need it for, you know, everyone on the island. We need um, to make sure that our drinking water stays pristine. I know, you know, that we have a sole source aquifer and it's sand filtered. And we've always been really proud of the quality of our water. But I don't know what the effect of so much Roundup being um, placed on lawns, Mm -hmm. you know, because we have so many, um, you know, now homes here, as opposed to open tracts of land that we used to have, we've, Mm -hmm. we've got a lot more green lawns Mm -hmm. and green lawns often require herbicides that, you know, could be affecting our water table. Um, and I think that's, you know, something we need to think about because if you're, if our water table is affected by that, and then we're putting that on our Organically grown crops. Right. It's going to have a long-term It's going to have effect. a long-term effect. You know, so there's that. I'm really worried about um, our scallops. Mm-hmm. Our eelgrass uh, is is diminishing, and the scallops need the eel, eelgrass to survive. Mm-hmm. Um, and that leads back to, in a good part, to how much fertilizer is being placed on mostly those lawns. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so in, I don't know how much you know about organic practices, sustainable practices when you're growing food. You, you've worked on a farm, you know, mm-hmm. um, that you amend the soil slowly over time. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, yeah, once there's damage, it takes so much longer to recover. Yeah. And you can't use quick release, um, chemical fertilizers at all mm-hmm. in organic practices. So, you know, we would never do that, mm-hmm. but people who are uninformed, um, are using mm-hmm. these things, uh, and they don't know. Right. Um, and we do have a, um, a new fertilizer regulations and, you know, everyone's hopefully following those and mm-hmm. we're making steps toward that. But I think we really need to raise awareness around planting native plants that aren't going to require that kind of water or fertilizer right. maintenance. Yeah, there's so there's some some controllable factors and then other things that over time with people helping out, it should hopefully change the community a bit. Yeah. And I think, you know, obviously we hope that everyone um, will support both the farms um and the Sustainable Nantucket's efforts to uh, change the culture around food on the island. Great. Well, I wish you all the best of luck and continued success because your presence has been growing on the island and it's, it is bringing awareness, I believe. So uh, best of luck and congratulations. And we will continue to support you in all ways we can. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks for joining us today. Have a great day.